Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. So we begin a a series in generosity. I know many of you think when we... uh, Say generosity, immediately we think of financial generosity, right? While our finances have to do with generosity, you're going to wish that all it was was financial generosity. That maybe after today, when we deal with some of the more difficult pieces of what it looks like to be generous, that like, man, I wish it was just about the money, (laughs) just about writing the check, because man, to be emotionally generous or um, relationally generous to be generous in our hospitality and our time, oh my goodness, what does that begin to look like? I pray the Lord would just continue to work in your hearts as we, as we wrestle with these things. And the reality is that generosity encompasses all areas of our life. That as believers who profess Christ as Lord of our lives, we are called to reflect our creator. And our creator is generous, right? We sing about the generosity of our, of our God in worship. Right? And the mercy that he's lavished on us and just how thankful we are, how grateful we are for his generosity to us. He's lavishly poured out the mercy, the love, the patience, and so on. And then we are a reflection of him. And he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. And as we become more like him, generosity gives control. When we maintain a posture of generosity, generosity gives control of all that we possess, all of our assets, and we give it to God. We say, use me how you see fit. Help me be generous. We've been wrestling with this all week. Generosity is the currency in the kingdom economy of God. There are many types of currency, right? Currency is a medium of exchange for value. And so, and so we understand currency in, in more primitive countries, the currency was the, the, the bartering and the trading, right? The currency was, was the goods, was the services, was the things. Now we have a, a monetary currency that we use to exchange those goods and services, but, but everything is an exchange of value. And as we receive from Christ, as, as, we, as we just rest in who we are in him, the generosity now, now giving our whole lives to others towards him, is now the currency in the kingdom economy. Christ modeled this for us and he commands us to do the same. And so for us, the kingdom of God, there's relational currency, there's emotional currency, there's financial currency, there's currency of the time investment, right? The value that we give others of our time, of our our, our emotions, of, of our thoughts, of our relationships. Are we generous with that? Because generosity is the currency in the kingdom economy of God, lavishly pouring it out on everyone around us because we've so graciously received it. It's this idea that we've received the generosity of God and so then we go to extend the generosity of God. And so over these next few weeks, we're gonna talk about those different types of generosity, what they look like in our life And then what does it practically look like? It's like, okay, I I understand the truth, I I hear it. 
but like, what does it look like to live this out, right? And so we're gonna, my, my prayer is that we'll start to build into those things and for you to see those. And so today is about relational generosity. What does it mean to be generous in our relationships? And the value that we exchange with others to be present, to be among, to be with. A relational generosity, I think, is probably one of the hardest things in this whole series of generosity. That's the good news. The rest of it becomes easier if we get this, if we understand this, if we begin to live into this. And so what does being generous relationally look like? Today we'll look at how relational generosity actually begins in forgiveness. But that's the the root of it, the piece of it that I believe so many miss. The piece that holds so many back from being relationally generous is the forgiveness piece. In the enormity of that, it's a heavy topic. It's something, though, that we've all been faced with. And so our passage today is in Luke 17, and I invite you to go there with me. It's in the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. But before we do that, I just wanna go to the Lord in prayer. And so, Father, um, Lord, we, we wanna give this time to you today. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts as only you can do. Lord, that it's not about trying harder, but it's about letting go, which can be even harder in resting and trusting in the faith that you've called us into, just trusting in you, believing in you, with you as our example, and so we do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so this morning we begin in, uh, in verse 3. I want us to begin in Luke 17, 3. And the first, the first couple of verses talk about the weight of sin and the gravity of sin and the importance of um, not leading others astray to sin. And we all understand that, right? Like, hey, don't lead others into sin. That is, that is grave. That is a big deal. And there's, there's a weight to that. And even more so for his disciples and for those who stand before you and, and preach and teach, this is a very sobering idea, a uh, 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 reality. And then he goes on into verse three and he says, and watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. We like the first part. Ah, yeah. But then if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And so, and, and so uh, Jesus is, for, we've been in Paul, talk about Paul so much. And Jesus' first um, instructions is watch yourselves, watch your soul, watch your heart. When someone sins against you, watch yourself. What's it doing to you? What's happening in you? Coming from someone who I think knows a little bit about betrayal, Jesus himself, right? Watch yourself are his instructions. When someone sins against you, the warning about sin is serious. Equally important is the need to forgive one another. So watch yourself. Because how destructive is it to our own souls 
when someone sins against us and we mismanage it. And so he begins to instruct. And he says, if they sin against you seven times, and seven times Forgive them. If it were only seven times, right? The, the number seven in scripture is, is significant. It's, um, it's this idea that uh, it, it, was, uh, it was a perfect number. It was, it was saying that, that may, there, may, may it be to completion, to its fullness. May you forgive to its fullness. Actually, if he said, if, forgive them 10 times, it probably would have been simpler because we could have counted. And then once they've wronged us 10 times, we're good. But, but the number seven was was significant in that culture. And they would have known that. And so listening to these instructions, they would have known that he didn't literally mean seven times. It was probably the, whole, the number they hoped he wouldn't say. When they, because it offers completeness and perfection where no more is possible. You know, in, in that culture, if, they were, if, if someone were to invite you over to their house and they say, may you eat, you know, seven loaves of bread or seven fish or seven whatever. They're not saying may you eat seven, but they're saying may you be filled up with it until you're full. And this is what this number means. May you be filled up. Jesus is saying, if someone sins against you seven times, as wrongly as they could have sinned against you, to forgive them. Because why? Jesus knew the tragedy of living with unforgiveness towards someone. He knew what he did to the souls of men and women. That it cost us dearly. It leads to brokenness. It leads to embitterness. Fragmented relationships, it's a poison when you stew, when you seethe over something. Do you know the old, uh, there's three English words that are kind of closely related in the root. Wrath, wreath, and wraith. So wrath is to be this great anger, and to be twisted by it, to be twisted by anger, to let it get the, the best of you. We know a wreath is this is a it's twisted garland, right? Twisted um, decorative. You know what a wreath is. I didn't spend time on that. And a wraith is a ghostly, tormented object. Twisted by torment. Wrath, wreath, and wraith. And anger has a way of twisting, of, 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 of when someone sins against us, this idea of we, have an, we, we, can, be, we can be tempted to be twisted, where, where we say, no, it's not really anger, I just want justice, I just want, I just want this and whatever. And we lie to ourselves and we tell us it's anything but Anger. He says, hanging on to that, it's going to defile you. It's going to twist you. It's going to hold you back. We allow unforgiveness to, to so often determine our future, right? With our relationships with others, with everything. How many of you seen, uh, how many of you seen a Christmas story? The Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Ebenezer Scrooge had a bad hand in life. He became a twisted man with wrath. He's ungenerous. He's angry all the time. There's no joy. And as we begin to, to understand the story and we see that he had a very difficult childhood, 
It wasn't his fault. A lot of things that happened to him weren't his fault. There were things that happened to him. It's implied his mother died. He had a cruel father. Sent away from home to overtly strict boarding schools. No friends among classmates. The only student that didn't go home for Christmas. And so bitterness consumed him. The things that happened to him consumed him. And this bitterness kind of turned into a cycle where he just, it was him against the world, right? And, and it was all about getting ahead and it was all about pushing others down and elevating himself and, and, and no joy. And, and the outcome of that was more grief through a failed engagement and fragmented relationships and the pain caused more grief and, the, and, and, and he kept going round and around and around causing more pain and more bitterness. And so the ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas present come to him where he's faced, where he's faced with the brokenness of the things that's happened to him, of who he is today. The third was most sobering of all, of applying what it would be to come if he continued to live this way. Be a wraith, tormented. And that his future was bitterness because more pain would come. And so then he finally speaks out. He says, answer me one question. Are, are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are they the shadows of the things that may be? He's saying, do I have a chance to, do I have a chance to make this right? His past and present actions left him Lonely and devastated. So the last of the spirits gives Scrooge the final chance of redemption, right? Start of life to make things new. Sorry if I'm ruining the movie for, every, for those of you. It's been around long enough. I hope you've seen it. Guess what? It's still good. Go back and watch it because I'm leaving a lot out. But he came face to face with this, this bitterness and brokenness. And he responded differently. Friends, bitterness is the rust to longevity. Bitterness leaves you twisted. Leaves you angry. It leaves a path of destruction everyone else has to deal with when you live with unforgiveness and bitterness. So Christ is saying, for everyone's sake, you must forgive. If not, it'll eat you up, it'll destroy you. You'll become a Scrooge, twisted by the world and those who have wronged you. And you'll be fixated on that. So his disciples respond to this instruction of forgiveness. Lord, increase my faith. <laughs> increase our faith. How do we do this? I can't possibly do this. How do we possibly forgive perfectly everyone every time? And then what did Jesus say? He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the smallberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it'll obey you. If you have, if you have the smallest idea of what I came to do for you, then forgiveness wouldn't be an issue. 
he's saying. Have a little faith. You see, Jesus is primarily concerned that faith to forgive is present. Not how much, but that we catch a glimpse of it. So how do we do this? How do we forgive those who have wronged us? How do we exercise trust that God will release us from being twisted by those who have wronged us? The late Timothy Keller uh, laid out some practical ways to avoid being consumed by anger. I just want to share these with you today. I believe they're so good. And the good news is my clock never started today. I don't, we might be here till I'm done. Three ways. Number one, to refuse to characterize the transgressor. We know what it means to characterize, right? Have you ever seen a, a character drawing where it, where it disproportionately distorts attributes about something, right? And, and what happens when someone has wronged us is we have a tendency to, to make them one-dimensional. They cheated me, they're a liar, they're a thief, they're a cheat, all these other things. And that's what we see about them. That's what we believe about. That's why it's so easy to, to uh, talk about people on the internet, right? Talk bad about people online. Because we just boil them down to a caricature. We generalize them in. That's why it's so easy to, be, to, be, um, to take sides on things. We oversimplify. Instead, he says we ought to seek to identify with them. Because the reality is we probably have more in common with them than we realize the person that wronged us. The sobering truth is to stay angry at them is to live as though you're above them. To say, look at you, I'd never do that. I'd never do anything like that. And you lord it over them. Reality is we're all humans, right? Complex, richly created in the image of God. So many different facets, right? And, and we, we see this play out in, in life. And, and when someone wrongs us, you know, it's, it's easy to just to, to strike and just characterize them. But when we wronged others, it's complicated, right? When we've, when we're, we're, when we've been caught in a lie, or twisted the truth, well, it's complicated. Here's what you need to understand about me. It's not as it seems, right? All of a sudden, it's complex. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. What if we did that for others? What if we refused to characterize them into one-dimensional? So you know what? Let's seek to understand. Maybe they're hurting. Most times, people are hurting. So do we lash back or do you maybe think they need the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Christ? Yeah, a few years ago, um, me and, and, and an organization that I was a part of, uh, 
was uh, publicly slandered and spoken out against was, um, it's just so not true. So many of the things. I was so frustrated. And I wrote a long letter. I was going to formally reply. The Lord started working in my heart. I wrote it. It felt good. No one saw it, thankfully. They said, Ben, you need to go and meet with them. You need to look them in the eyes. Because what's happening in your heart is not healthy. And it's getting to you. You're going to mess up some really cool work that God's doing. If this gets in the way, you're going to be the one standing in the way. I met with them. We agreed to disagree. But I walked away loving them, understanding their position better. Yeah, okay, whatever. But I, I, I personified them. I gave them humanity and dignity. I didn't caricaturize them anymore. By God's grace, he showed me that. Number two, inwardly surrender the right to repayment. The reality is when we're wronged, something's owed to us, right? There's debt to be paid. To forgive is is to surrender the right to repayment. It's to pay the debt yourself. We release the other person from the debt that they owed us, from the thing that was stolen from us. And we wipe the slate clean. So how do we do this? What does it look like? Don't speak ill of them. I had so many opportunities to justify why this person was in the wrong and I was right. And it wasn't really edifying Every chance I had the opportunity to do that, just prayed, Lord, help me to hold my tongue. That as time passes, the truth will be seen, it'll be known. And every time I chose to keep my mouth shut, to not slander back, I was surrendering the right to repay me, I was paying it myself. The things that had been said that were wrong. I was paying it myself because I knew God's work was far greater. There are more important things than to seize and to stew and to, to, to just get the last word in and to get my point across. But to be patient. To see that the Lord is at work. Are you willingly, are you willing to absorb another person's debt after they've been wronged? Everything costs something, right? Nothing's free. Someone has to pay for it. The question is who's doing the, who's, who's paying it? Is it you or is it someone else? Forgiveness says, you know what, I've been wronged. I'm gonna pay this off. Don't worry about it. We're good.
kind of grace is that? Someone who's seeking to repent, finding forgiveness. Because forgiveness assumes payment for the debt that someone else has caused. And you know, obviously we're not talking about financial debt, financial robbery, right? There's so, most oftentimes we're wronged in many different ways. We're robbed of happiness, we're robbed of opportunity, of joy, of truth, something stolen from us and we can't get it back. And so we can say hurt for hurt, struggle for struggle, I'm gonna tell them off. I'm gonna make them feel bad every chance that I get. I'm gonna remind them of it. I'm gonna lord it over them. I'm gonna try to ruin their reputation. I'm gonna gossip. I'm gonna speak truthfully. Something that I know that they've done that might lead to their downfall. I'm gonna destroy them just like they robbed something to me from me. Or maybe we inwardly root against them. No one else sees it. Inwardly, every time, it's like, man, I hope they fail. I hope they don't succeed. We root against them. Makes you feel good in the short run. In the long run, it's this, this IV of poison dripping through your veins and in your soul over and over. The hit feels good at first. Over time, you're just left embittered, rusted, broken. This was a Scrooge's life, right? He just wanted everyone else to pay for it, whether they were involved directly or indirectly. He was bitter, he was unjust. In a lot of ways, he was just. He says, hey, that's your lot. You deal with it. And that can become our posture too. We don't surrender the right to repayment. Letting go hurts, it's hard, especially when we hold the debt of someone who, hold, who owes us. But holding on to it's worse, and I hope that you see that. It robs us over and over again of future freedom, of peace, of restoration. To forgive as Jesus instructs us will hurt, but by forgiving, we're assuming the debt for someone else who's wronged us. And every time we refuse repayment, we're paying for it. Because here's the thing, forgiveness was always meant to be an act toward restoration, reconciliation. That's the point of it. That restoration is its goal. And when we forgive, it's the pathway towards the restoration. Whew. I don't have any, any interest in being restored. Well, sorry to say that's the, that's the kingdom way. Forgiveness is the pathway towards restoration. Number three, to will good of the wrongdoer. Instead of actively rooting against them, 
What if you prayed for them? What if you willed success in their lives? You know, back up to verse three, it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Say, oh, what about that, Ben? What about the rebuking piece? I hope before you rebuke, you've grieved over it and you've come with an inwardly forgiving posture towards them because otherwise it's vengeance. But to rebuke is to go in with a posture of inward forgiveness in hand. Leading with grace, right? And saying, if this is where you are wrong, if, if they repent, you've won them over, right? To be unified with one another is Christ's desire for us. be unified. Restoration is the goal. So the rest of this passage, he concludes with a parable. Because the reality is we're called to forgive before we feel it. Right? I'm just not ready to forgive. Well, what if you just did it before you felt it? What if that started, what if that was the discipline? And then you live into that. And you start taking practical baby steps. Maybe then you'll feel it. And you'll start to see it. You'll start to experience it. Christ says, I've, I've equipped you. I've, I've allowed you to do this. And so where do we get the power to do this? It's in the mustard seed faith that Christ offers through his demonstration. And so we kind of, our text today concludes with this parable. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper and get, get yourself ready and wait on me? while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was, was he, he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You see, this is something that they would have understood in their culture because uh, to be a slave, a servant by and large was to be indebted to somebody. And so you had two choices. You could either uh, allow, you could, they could, they could uh, the, the slave could work for the person that they owe or they could go to prison, right? And so in this idea of like, at the end of the day, the master thanking the slave for doing the thing that he was indebted and working off a debt that was owed to him is ridiculous. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking in modern, like what, what could exist in modern times? And, um, you know, I have, uh, we own a home. Kind of. The bank owns my home, right? I have a mortgage payment. I don't expect the bank to thank me for paying my mortgage payment. I make, I make that agreement with them and I say, okay, you can either pay it or, or uh, you can go to collections and maybe jail. You choose. 
And that's, that's the kind of economy that, that, he's, that he's speaking of right now. And he's saying, he's saying, hey, don't expect a thanks if you're, if you're doing these kind of things. Do it out of duty. And, and what happens is everyone's not in their heads, but see, understanding the Pharisees in that time, there was almost this, this air of self-righteousness. Jesus flips it. Because they were expecting a thanks to, from God, almost. Saying, look at all the things that we're doing. Look at all the things that we're praying for. For people. And how holy we are and what we're doing. And Jesus is saying, if you knew the gravity and the weight of your sin, the weight of your brokenness, what right do you have to tell me that I ought to be thanking you? Your servant acting like a king. Here's where I want to land today. This idea of forgiveness and indebtedness. It's hard to swallow, it's hard to understand. In light, of, in light of Christ, though, it becomes clear. Because it's as if God's saying, hey, I'm the one who holds this thing all together. It's your duty to commit yourself to me. Saying, do you have the slightest idea of what I've done for you? You have the slightest idea of what I've, what I've forgiven you from. The, the new life that I've offered you. And now you're gonna walk around not forgiving others. I'll say this, Christ's forgiveness paid off your debt so that you can pay off the debt of others. Once and for all, Christ went to the cross for you. And just a little bit of faith, we see the weight of that. Of everything that we didn't deserve. Every wrong against him that we've ever had. And you're gonna lord unforgiveness over someone else? but he empowers us to do it, right? Not us on our own strength. He empowers us to forgive. Demonstrates it. And the Holy Spirit enables us. Can I say something? Christ took on your debt. He forgave you. He didn't stay mad at you. He forgave you. And he didn't stay mad. You were reconciled back in right standing with him. And he's saying, children, stop fighting. Who has wronged you in your life any more than you've wronged me? 
and yet I forgave and I didn't stay mad. The blood and the body of Christ, not a cheap gift. It costs something. The wood, the nails, the paint. Forgiveness is painful. We all know that. But yet he did it anyways. And we're called to do the same. Mark 11 tells us when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Inwardly, forgive those who have wronged you. Take on the debt because Christ did it for you. come to the table. That's how we're going to end today. Because Jesus demonstrated radical generosity on the cross so that we could be radically generous with our relationships and our forgiveness. Jesus demonstrated radical generosity and love on the cross to be a healing balm for the wronged. so that he could say, yeah, I know how it feels. It's hard. If you have a little bit of faith in me, you can do it. Because relational generosity, mercy, grace on others, offers offers radical forgiveness in everything. this. You say, Ben, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know the hurt that people have had on me. Can't do it. No, you can't. But with God, you can. Lancaster, PA, October 2nd. Two thousand six. Radical generosity. Your devastation. It's a typical fall day. The Amish farmlands. Peace was shattered with the sound of gunfire in an Amish school. And little Amish girls lost their lives that day. By the hands of Charlie Roberts. Charlie's mom 
someday have a private funeral for him. To bury her son. It's an unimaginable atrocity. I can't imagine the shame that she felt. Brokenness. And all of a sudden, 30, 40 Amish people, men and women, show up to this funeral. Forgiven him. These people were wronged. And because of the love of Christ, taking their daughters' lives, granddaughters' lives, their siblings' lives, they knew they had two options. Could harbor, harbor bitterness, resent, seek vengeance, seek justice. They could show forgiveness. Showed forgiveness. It wasn't easy. It was painful. Myself in my, those parents' shoes. I can't imagine a faith like that. But they did it. Not on their own strength, but Christ. Christ. No one could possibly wrong us more than we've wronged Christ. We are less deserving of his forgiveness than others are of ours. And if you had a mustard seed side of faith, size of faith, you'd see that. And the Holy Spirit enables us. Let's stand. Coming to the Lord's table. It means something. It means willingly receiving forgiveness from Christ. As often as you do this, remember me. The blood that I shed for you on the cross, the body broken for you, for your sins. As we go, called to willingly extend that forgiveness to others then. We meet Christ here and then we take it with us to those who wrong us, to those who break us, to those who hurt others that we love. That's our posture. So we come to the table And I pray you might find it within you to inwardly forgive. If you're carrying, if you're stewing on stuff, 
others have wronged you. Might the power of the Lord today grant you the ability to inwardly forgive. Say, God, I don't feel it yet. I'm mad, but I give it to you. Give it to him before you come to the table today. So that you can truly be reconciled and begin the process of reconciliation with others. This is hard stuff. We live in a broken world. This is, this is the Christians. This is what we're called to do. Little Christs, Christians, because he did it for us. So you're gonna come up, you're gonna willingly receive the grace that's been extended, the forgiveness that's been extended to you so that you can go. So on the night that he was betrayed, right, he took the bread. I'm not gonna touch the stuff today. Dave, can you come up here and just prepare our hearts? Um, he broke the bread. Says, this is my body broken for you, for the forgiveness of sin, the weight of that. I hope you understand, they didn't. And then the drink. The blood poured out for you undeservingly poured out for you. It's the king coming down to be a servant. Take and drink, take and eat. And as often as you do this, remember. What does it mean to remember? To embody and then to go and do likewise, to extend it. And so, Father, as we, as we respond to your call today, Lord, I pray, brothers and sisters in the room today, your sons and daughters, you desire unity. Lord, forgiveness is the pathway to reconciliation. Lord, and so let it be, we pray. Wash as pure as snow. Help us to detox the unforgiveness, the stuff that we're sitting on, God. Help us to take that first step today and maybe this week. Reach out to those who have wronged us, maybe those who are, we are lording unforgiveness over. We say all is paid because someone greater paid off my debt. Help us to be people who live in this only by the power might of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to join us. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 1030 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.